I thought the phrase, mind the gap, had been around for a very long time, probably back to my grandparents at least. Um, But then I looked on Wikipedia, which we know is always right. And it told me that it really originated in 1969 when some of the underground trains in London, which were flat on the edge, met with rounded platforms so that they didn't meet evenly. And it was a dangerous area, so they had a campaign that was started to mind the gap. They didn't have mechanical devices on the trains yet to accommodate, you know, covering this space or smoothing it out. So they might have signs printed on things or inside the trains, and there might be recordings at the stations that were telling you to mind the gap. All of this was news to me. I realized that for some people, 1969 is a very long time ago. That is not the case for all of us in here. Me among them. Um, Generally speaking, the gap is the potentially problematic area that might go unnoticed or might need special attention uh, and care so that safety or continuity or appropriate action is possible. And talking about the gap, I am not doing a commercial for a clothing chain. Um, But that was kind of like, don't think of an elephant, right? You mentioned it, and so I just did an ad. Forgive me. Minding the gap is prudent. Everywhere we look, there are gaps between what we are told and what we see, between how we believed the world would be and how the, or was, and how the world has actually turned out to be or is, at least in our perceptions. All sorts of people fall into gaps. Uh, the children I was talking about that will be mentioned at the centenary lecture this afternoon. Children who go hungry. There's a gap between what we wish were true and reality. There are communication gaps, there are generation gaps, economic gaps, gaps between our technology and our capacity to responsibly control it. The gap between where we are and where we want to be. The gap between where we think we are and where we really are. There is a gap between what we can achieve alone and what we can achieve together. Uh, Trying to remember which night it was this week. Um, 
maybe Thursday, I went to a Texas Avenue Community Association uh, meeting that was held at the Antioch Baptist Church on Texas Avenue, which is the oldest operating Baptist church in the city of Shreveport. And there I heard uh, a number of people talking about uh, some models for transforming neighborhoods that were different than the kinds of plans and strategies and models that I've heard before. Um, Kim Mitchell was talking about the Choice Neighborhood Transformation Plan. And I'm really very excited about all of this because it's an innovative model. It's engaging diversity. It's developing trust as part of the process. It's enhancing communication skills of the people in the process. And it's all built into the design of the process itself. Uh, Kim was the champion whose voice I heard the most that night. And he was talking about uh, that instead of doing all this planning and then ending up in 25 years with a plan that's obsolete and may not get funded, one of the things that they do is muster up the support they can accomplish whatever small, mid-range, and large things they can accomplish as they can accomplish them, as soon as they can begin accomplishing them, and then find the gaps between where that ends and where we want to go and seek support to cover the gap. Funding, which incidentally is typically much easier to come by and a more effective process, efficient. As the goals in this program include housing, education, safety, jobs, health, leadership, and preserving the narratives of the neighborhood, all of which currently provide gaping holes. I find it fascinating and surprisingly promising. The gap is worth minding. The gaps are worth minding. Kim also mentioned that effective organization in our time is moving from the hierarchical model. That it has been, I'm not sure if it was in, in matriarchal culture, but it has been in patriarchal culture. Anyway, from the hierarchical model to networking and empowerment. And that that model is part of this process as well. Now those who are the most invested in the hierarchy will always 
be the ones who most resist change. In our governmental structure, that's people on both sides of the aisle. Right? One of the books I've been reading lately is Don't Think of an Elephant, which a phrase I used a little earlier, by George Lakoff, or Lakoff. And in it, he talks about the distance. Well, no. He talks about the difference between the basic assumptions from which people move to make the decisions that they make and, and these frames are built on different understandings of parenting. Anyway, the first 20 pages of the book went a long way to help me understand how someone can look at the exact same information I'm getting, the data, the, the uh, evidence, the, uh, the results and come up with diametrically opposing answers. I mean, isn't it difficult to consider how two people or two groups of intelligent, basically honest, well-meaning, loving people can end up with such different understandings of what's best. For his purpose of writing, the book was to coach progressives um, on how to get the upper hand in framing the national conversations. And you can see how well it's worked so far. But for me, its value has been in increasing my ability to understand another's view and thereby increase just the possibility that we can have a discussion without tempers flaring. It identified for me the gap over which we trip very frequently. At the TACA meeting, the Texas Avenue Community Association meeting, Reverend West, who was the minister at that church, stood up two or three times, and I watched this man... with love and understanding of the perspectives represented in that room translate things into language that everybody there made peace with. It was really an amazing thing to witness.
By employing the tool of understanding, he bridged the gap peacefully between excited, energetic people and anxious people who had good reason to be skeptical. Because he was standing solidly on trust and on compassion, his efforts to translate were well received by both groups. It was delightful to witness, and it shows that the gap is worth minding. We are not a homogenous group, although we're probably more alike than we think we are. And of course, we do not all have the same gifts. We are not all teachers, we are not all healers, we are not prophets, not all prophets or organizers or givers or interpreters or artists or in the service. Still, I believe as Unitarian Universalists, we are better suited to learn and develop these capacities for the art of finding the gaps, comprehending their sources, trying to look deeply enough to understand how people got there. And generating the possibility for bridges. Like I said, we don't all have the same gifts. We are not all peacemakers or peaceniks. And maybe some of us understand the way to be to peace to be very different than the way others here understand the way to peace. Still we all want peace. If we can learn the disciplines of love and compassion as coupled with strength and discernment, reserve and backbone, what a difference we could make. The first step, obviously, is to cultivate and hone the skills among ourselves. And I believe there are people in the congregation working on that right now. And we're trying to set up programs that will carry that even farther. And once we have worked on the communication gaps here among us, the distance, distances between us, then we can carry them into interactions as new skills with the broader community. And I know a lot of people here have done work on uh, peaceful communication. You can help us learn, but there is always more for all of us to learn. One of my old favorite books about spiritual growth and mysticism is a book 
by William Huff called Infinity in Your Hand. Uh, an image that he talks about in the book is one that has stayed with me for years, and it's from the Mbuti pygmies in the uh, northeastern Congo. They, these are very peaceful people. And the image is that of a bubble around each of us, a sphere, an invisible bubble that is ours. Move too fast and you outdistance your bubble. An imposter can take your place. Those going too fast for their bubble are in a state of what is called woozy woozy. If we slow down and let our bubbles catch up, we're more at home in our own skin. We're more capable of measured response, genuine measured response. Going the pace that is ours to go, doing the work that is ours to do, that aligns with our gifts, not necessarily something we want to do, but something that comes from within us that is ours to do. Our effectiveness in the world is increased exponentially. All of this leads to deeper contentment. All of this leads to more promise in the world. The gap between our bubbles and ourselves is worth minding. Now, the gaps that I've been talking about so far are big holes, or maybe even little ones, but they're treacherous. And this morning as I was preparing to come to church, I was getting, playing with my dog and a tennis ball, which I do quite often, and my dog bit me, punctured my finger. Isn't it lovely? Um, and I thought, oh, some of the gaps we need to mind, we need to mind because they're not big enough. Some of the problems that we have, and I, and I thought of the Middle East, are because things overlap in such a way that we can't see them. We can't get enough distance to gain perspective. It's too close. In those ways, the gaps need to be minded as well. If I had paid closer attention, I wouldn't have a hole in myself. I, I, I was put in mind of our uh, director of lifespan religious education's recent limitations because I was having to look things up on the computer left-handed. 
but not minding the gap gave me a different perspective. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we trip. Sometimes we run headlong into things. I think the Democrats and Republicans, the government, the system is that we're too much alike. It's like the story of the star-bellied sneeches. Do y'all remember that? Dr. Seuss. It's a... They, there's this town. Everybody looks exactly alike. Some of these these beings have stars on their bellies, and some of them don't. And so the ones with the stars decide that they are better than the ones who don't have the stars, and so they develop this elitist culture. And then and then the they're called sneeches. These are the, that's what the beings are called. So the sneeches that don't have stars build a machine that puts stars on their bellies. And then the star-bellied sneeches can't tell the non-star-bellied, the plain-bellied sneeches from them, so they develop a machine to take off their stars. And so this big cycle happens, and the sneeches go in and out of the machines, getting stars put on and taken off until nobody knows who anybody is anymore. Isn't that a wonderful thought? If it could all be just about the way we understand parenting, though it's significant, the differences that are generated from those kind of models, can't we look at it a different way? We didn't all grow up in homes that were alike. We weren't all raised by the same families. The lessons we learned and the examples we were given were not alike. And both of the models show up in different places in our lives. Sometimes the gaps we need to mind are the gaps that don't exist. Anyway. We must mind the gaps because often it is in those gaps that hope for peace lies, that hope for understanding lies, happiness, progress, and possibility.